0: Our Old Testament lesson today comes from the book of Second Kings, the 23rd chapter. Hear these words about King Josiah. Yeah. When they reported Holda's words to the king, the king sent a message. And all of Judah's and Jerusalem's elders gathered before him. Then the king went up to the Lord's temple together with all the people of Judah and all the citizens of Jerusalem the priests and all the prophets and all the people, young and old alike. There the king read aloud all the words of the covenant scroll that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king stood beside the pillar and made a covenant with the Lord that he would follow the Lord by keeping his commandments, his laws and his regulations with all his heart and all his being in order to fulfill the words of this covenant that were written in this scroll. All of the people accepted this covenant. The king then commanded the high priest Hilkiah, the second-order priests, and the doorkeepers to remove from the Lord's temple all the religious objects made for Baal, Asherah, and all the heavenly bodies. The king burned them outside Jerusalem in the kidron fields and took the ashes to Bethel. He got rid of the pagan priests that the Judean kings had appointed to burn incense at the shrines in Judah's cities and around, in areas around Jerusalem. He did the same to those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the heavenly bodies. He removed the Asherah image from the Lord's temple, taking it to to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem. There he burned it, ground it to dust, and threw the dust on the public graveyard. The king tore the shrines for the consecrated workers that were in the Lord's temple, where women made coverings for Asherah. Then Josiah brought all the priests out of Judah's cities, from Jeba to Beersheba. He defiled the shrines where the priests had been burning incense. He also tore down the shrines at the gates at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the city's governor which were on the left as one entered the city gate. Although the priests of these shrines didn't go up on the Lord's altar in Jerusalem, they did eat unleavened bread with their fellow priests. Josiah defiled the Topheth in the Bahinimum Valley, so no one could burn their child alive in honor of the god Molech. He did away with the horses that Judah's kings had dedicated to the sun. They were kept at the entrance to the Lord's temple near a room in the annex, which belonged to an official named nathan Melech. Josiah set fire to the chariots that were dedicated to the sun. The king also tore down the altars that were on the roof of Ahaz's upper story, which had been made by the Judean kings. And he did the same with the altars that Manasseh had built in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. He broke them up there and threw their dust into the Kidron Valley. The king then defiled the shrines facing Jerusalem, south of the mountain of destruction. Solomon, the king of Israel, had built these for Ashtoreth the monstrous Sidonian God, for Kamash, the monstrous Moabite God, and for Milcom, the detestable Ammonite God. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the sacred poles, filling the places where they had been with human bones. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus is riding into the city of David today. Now, we're familiar with the story of Palm Sunday. It is one that is filled with irony, for Jesus rides into town not on a noble stallion, but on a donkey. And he is entering the town, and we know that he is going to be executed at the end of this journey. We celebrate this day and reenact it with palm branches because we recognize that we can enter this story and become participants in it. We are among those who proclaim Hosanna today and crucify him only a few days later. We read the story of Palm Sunday every year. But the first action that Jesus performs once he rides down the Mount of Olives and enters the temple gate is to make his way right to the temple. And rather than entering it for a time of solemn prayer or a time to teach, Jesus takes action and performs his own cleansing of the temple. In some gospels we hear about Jesus turning over the tables and he quotes the prophets and proclaims that my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of crooks. Jesus is ridding the temple of anything that would stop it from being a proper place of worship to the Lord. In this action Jesus is pronouncing judgment on anyone and anything that attempts to draw people away from the ideals of God's law. He wants to clear out anything that would hinder people from loving God and loving their neighbor. Josiah was one of the last kings over Judah in the line of David. Our Old Testament lesson occurs today toward the end of what was known as the divided kingdom. You see, after Solomon's rule in Israel, and Solomon was the third king, the kingdom split into two. The northern ten tribes would become known as Israel, And the southern two tribes were known as Judah. David's line was in Judah, and Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. This is where the temple was. By the time of King Josiah, the kingdom of Israel had already been defeated by Assyria to the north. The reason that the book of 1st and 2nd Kings give for the takeover of Israel, and ultimately for the destruction of Judah and the temple after Josiah, is this. The kings were evil. How were they evil? They did not worship the Lord alone. The first commandment, to have no other gods before the Lord, had not been followed. In fact, of the northern kings of, of Israel, zero out of the 20 kings that ruled Israel are labeled good. If you read through First and Second Kings, uh, it gets to be quite the litany of kings that are bad, of rulers that are evil. And in Judah, the southern kingdom, only eight out of 20 are labeled good. And of all of those kings of Judah, we learned that Josiah was one of the best. Here's his introduction in chapter 22. Josiah did what was right in the Lord's eyes and walked in the ways of his ancestor David, not deviating from it even a bit to the right or to the left. Josiah is told about an instruction scroll that had been buried in the temple, that had been long lost. This scroll is thought to be similar to the book of Deuteronomy, containing the whole of the law for the people of Israel. We are left to believe that this scroll had been buried and forgotten, and that the people of Israel truly were not following in its way. So listen to what Josiah does when he hears this scroll of God's law read aloud. Says as soon as the king heard what the instruction scroll said, he ripped his clothes. And then he said, Go and ask the Lord on my behalf, and on behalf of the people, and on behalf of all Judah concerning the contents of this scroll that has been found. The Lord must be furious with us, because our ancestors failed to obey the words of this scroll and do everything written in it about us. So after hearing this scroll being read, Josiah begins a great reform project throughout Israel. This is the crowning achievement of Josiah's reign, and it provides a model of faithfulness for us today. First of all, Josiah reads God's instructions out loud to everyone. This is not a message just for priests and for government officials. The text says that Josiah has gathered everyone at the temple, young and old alike, and he reads the scroll to them. We can hear the echoes of Moses reading the entire scroll to Israel before his death, or Joshua reading the entire Torah to Israel before they entered the Promised Land. The only thing that Israel has always been instructed to do is to obey this law. Specifically, this law that begins with the first commandment, to worship the Lord alone, right? To have no other gods before me. After Josiah reads the scroll to everyone, Josiah made a covenant that he would keep the words of this scroll. He made a covenant that ratified those covenants that Israel had made before in its life. And the scripture tells us that all of the people accepted this covenant. For us contemporary readers, when we hear the laws of the Torah, it can feel and seem burdensome. But the Old Testament itself believed that a life of trusting, obeying God's word was indeed possible, that this just required simple obedience. This is the emphasis of a lot of the book of Deuteronomy. Here the explanation that Moses gives to the people in Deuteronomy 30. This commandment that I'm giving you right now is definitely not too difficult for you. It isn't unreachable. It isn't up in heaven somewhere, so you have to ask, who will go up for us to heaven and get it for us? so that we can hear it and do it. Nor is it across the ocean somewhere so that you have to ask who will cross the ocean for us and get it so that we can hear it and do it. Not at all, the word is very close to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, waiting for you to do it. The people of Israel did not think of Torah obedience as impossible. The problem was that through years and decades and centuries of gradual disobedience, they had become far removed from following the Lord's instruction. So after the people accept this covenant, Josiah begins his massive reform. You see, for Josiah, the temple had to be cleansed. The first order of business was to attend to the house of the Lord. The scripture tells us that he removed all objects for the worship of Baal, Asherah, and the heavenly bodies that were in the temple. This is how bad it had gotten in Israel, even in the temple, the sacred house of God, for which books and instructions had been written. In fact, if you've read through Leviticus and Numbers, you've gotten to hear the sheer detail of all of the ways in which this building was to be maintained and built. And yet, in that temple, there were statues and images of foreign gods. Josiah's reform begins with the temple, and then he moves out to the entirety of the land. He removes pagan priests from the high places. It seems like there were altars that had been set up for sacrifices and worship of the Lord all around the land so the people would not have to always trek to Jerusalem. And in these places, previous kings of Judah had actually appointed priests of other gods to serve as well. We understand when reading this that there was no sacred space dedicated to the worship of the Lord alone. Every space had been compromised every space had been desecrated. This wasn't just about the worship of other gods, though. It was also about the practices of worship of those gods. They were practices not just forbidden by the Lord, but practices that go against the ethics of life and of purity that God wished to instill within God's people. So Josiah removed shrines for cultic prostitutes. Many religious movements had sexual practices that were part of their rituals. Josiah also destroyed the place where child sacrifices occurred to the god Moloch. Nothing resembled disdain for God's value for life like this practice of child sacrifice. Yet it's apparent that it was still happening in the region and may have been appropriated by some of the people of Israel. Josiah's reform was full-scale and wide-ranging. Why is it important? According to the narrative of Israel that the book of Kings is telling, all of Israel's problems are from them not following the commandment of the Lord. Their worship of other gods and allowance of these temptations in their midst explained the downfall of their nation. It would explain the destruction of the temple that would come soon. From one point of view, we see the faith that Solomon placed in the temple and that he represents at the beginning of the book of 1 Kings standing against the faith that josiah placed in the torah solomon's temple quickly became posh and extravagant and was kind of a development beyond the singular worship of the lord solomon's lavishness sets up the possibilities for the worship of other gods rather than the torah faith that josiah is reinstating It represents the faith of the Israelites in the desert. It's a faith that clings to the simplicity of loving God and of loving others. Josiah's reform is not the same as what iconoclasts did during the Reformation in the 1500s. During this period, some groups of reformers insisted on barren walls in churches, allowing no artwork or visual displays of God. Josiah's reform is not an example to follow in that way and do something like remove the stained glass in the sanctuary all of a sudden after worship today by everyone throwing rocks at it. I'm not advocating for that. Rather, Josiah's faithful example shows us what it looks like to reprioritize God as the only priority. When Jesus comes to cleanse the temple during Holy Week, it is also about priority. He was cleansing it from the money changers who were abusing the poor with their practices. So people would come to Israel. They would have to buy and purchase an animal, especially for this weekend of Passover that was coming for that festival. And the money changers uh, would charge them a lot more than the value of that animal when coming in. And Jesus is doing away with that practice. He hates that people are being gouged in the very house of the Lord. Like Josiah, people in Jesus' day had turned the temple into worship of gods who were not the Lord. Josiah is faithful because he took action on doing what was right and very likely unpopular. Many of us know what is the right thing to do. The kings before Josiah knew what the right thing was to do, but only a few of them did it. There were no doubt calls for Josiah's head, when he made these reforms. We don't read about those in this text, but Josiah was undermining people's entire way of life. There may have been generations of priests to Baal or to Asherah that the Levitical priests had instituted, but Josiah took action. His actions were faithful. I wonder, what in your life needs to be overthrown and taken over in order for you to be faithful to God? Do you find yourself saying, it's only one or just this one time or only when I need a release about something? Is there an addictive behavior that you need to completely clear out of your life in order to be faithful to God? Are there any grudges that you are holding against someone that are eating away at you? It may seem like they have passed or time is long gone, but then they rise up and bother you whenever you think about that person. Our other gods and idols are not as obvious as Asherah and Baal. They aren't demanding practices like child sacrifice, but they own us nonetheless. And when we are serving those gods, we cannot be faithful to the Lord. On Friday this week, as Jesus goes to the cross, we'll sing the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And the final verse of that song contains these transforming words. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. May it be so. Amen. I invite you to join me as we proclaim the words of faith.